Welcome to the latest episode of the Grassroots Government Podcast. I am Avery Davidson, and joining me here in studio is Louisiana Farm Bureau Legislative Specialist, Lobbyist, Joe Mapes. Howdy. And on the phone, we have Andy Brown, the Louisiana Farm Bureau National Affairs Coordinator. And uh, Joe, we're going to start with you because... There's actually been a lot of work that we've been doing on a grassroots level with the Louisiana Farm Bureau concerning tort reform. Right now, there's uh, the House bill is over on the Senate side, and the Senate is considering three concurrent resolutions that could all affect uh, how jury threshold is set and that sort of thing. That's right, Avery. Uh, we've been working on grassroots efforts for this for a long time. For example, we started in January traveling the state with legislative appreciation dinners where we sat back home with 80, 85 people in different areas of the state and their family and uh, got to know uh, constituents with members, with legislators, and then talked to issues. And the main issue that we talked when we were on the road was uh, tort reform. So yeah, that's where we all it all started. And we got pledges from a lot of them on the road to help us when we got here in Baton Rouge. And right now before the Senate is House Bill 57 by House Speaker Clay Schecksnyder. This bill has a lot of things that I know uh, would would help with lawsuit abuse and uh, br- maybe bring down the number of lawsuits that would be filed. Tell me a little bit about some of the provisions that are in there and some of the changes that have been made since it got to the Senate. Right. It's called the Civil Justice Reform Act. It's several pieces of the law that we would like to amend in order to uh, be able to lower insurance rates. The way the laws are written right now and the way that the court systems operate and the way that we have to operate within them, it's too costly for us. Uh, It's too costly for our uh, rate payers. And so, you know, we've got to get in there and and try and, and fix things, Avery. Yeah, we're talking about lowering the jury threshold. Right now, we in Louisiana have the highest jury threshold of $50,000. That's the highest in the country. What would HB 57 do to that? Well, that's 243% higher than the next one, which was 15,000. Most states have zero. Uh, This would bring us down to 10,000, which as we discussed with several members in the Senate this morning in the Capitol, this this is uh, a place we, we, we never dreamed of that we'd be talking about this, say, 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago. So lowering the jury threshold, we say, would... Uh, force more settlements because who wants to seek out a venue, you know, and get all your witnesses in place and pay for all of that and wait for the trial. I mean, if you can settle and uh, quicker, everybody wants to do that. So that's what we say that one of the things that it'll do. And also, um, I, I think, and maybe I'm talking out of turn here, but I would much prefer having a jury of my peers determine what any kind of reward award might be. Although some people do think it is a reward, uh, what my award is, rather than a single judge who at one time was possibly a trial attorney. Well, and that's a good point, and that that's the main reason for lowering the jury threshold is so that people do have access to a trial. What are some of the other issues that uh, are in the bill and in these concurrent resolutions? Uh, things like collateral source that could affect the. How, how things are decided as far as settlements go. Collateral source is a system that involves the, I mean, the doctors, the lawyers, and the insurance companies. 
and it's a really complicated uh, system. You've, you get 10 explanations, you'll, you know, 10 people to explain it to you, you'll get 11 different explanations of it. But basically what it is, Avery, it's a Ponzi scheme. It's something that is not prohibited by law, but uh, these attorneys are able to go in and overcharge for uh, billing, and then uh, the rate payer ends up paying that in the long run as a higher rate. So, you know, we, we, we want, we need to. 49 other states have a form of collateral source, and it's working uh, well enough for them. Ours is not working well for us at all. So we need to change it, and that's one of the things that's in the bill. Where does it go next? What do you think is going to happen next week whenever the Senate comes back in session? The Senate will come back in Monday at 4.30, and um, I believe they'll get ready to hear, hear the bill Tuesday. That's just a guess right now, but, you know, they'll probably come back to town in Monday and get organized in general and then make plans for Tuesday. We're not running out of time necessarily, but the session does end on the 30th. How important has grassroots involvement been? Uh, we were talking earlier before we started recording the podcast about text messages from some Louisiana Farm Bureau members to their their state senators and state legislators. How has that been effective? It's it's highly effective. It's invaluable. I mean, especially since the pandemic hit and communication has changed and, you know, not everybody is in public spaces as much anymore. Sandy and I have been in the Capitol every day since March 31st, which is the beginning of the first session. Uh, we stay there until late at night, but that's that's not usual. That's very rare. You sent a picture to me the other day of an almost empty committee room. That's got to change how things happen in the lawmaking process when you don't have input from constituents, but yet we still find a way. So that's a great point. Mike Strain, Commissioner Strain and I were standing in Memorial Hall in the back of the house two days ago. Now that's the area where the public goes. The lobbyists are, you know, we're public too. So that's where all the public goes to contact each other. Then when it overflows to contact the legislators, we go out into the rotunda, which is the area between the Senate House, Senate and House chambers. Commissioner Strain looked out there and he goes, look at this. He says, there should be a thousand people out here shoulder to shoulder moving this process right now. And there's not. And it was Mike Strain, Bud Corson, and I were standing there. And then we were run off by the sergeant at arms because they said we weren't supposed to be there. And so you can, you're allowed to go in the balcony, but nobody can see you in the balcony. Nobody knows you're in the balcony. If you need to be downstairs, you'll probably break your ankle going down that spiral staircase trying to get down fast enough to change things. So you're better off just staying you know, somewhere else and texting uh, and calling. But uh, not us, again. Uh, we, stay, we stay in the building all the time, Avery. Well, we're glad that you're there with uh, for us. And I know there's a lot also going on in Washington, D.C. Andy, we're going to have a, a visitor who uh, is going to be coming down from uh, D.C. And I know he's happier whenever he's back home in his district in Louisiana. Yeah, Avery, we were excited to um, get an invitation from Congressman Clay Higgins, our representative from the 3rd District uh, in the south and southwest part of the state. Uh, Captain Higgins reached out to us and also my counterparts at USA Rice to let us know that uh, he had heard the, the cry and the, the needs of the crawfish farmer and the rice industry as well um, and knows how important that is to his district. So uh, he's getting together. Uh, outside of Crowley on Tuesday, and that's uh, that's going to be a good deal to get folks out in an open-air facility. It'll be hot, but uh, 
be good to have their needs heard by somebody that represents them in D.C. And it's really important, especially right now, for our crawfish farmers and the wild fishermen to uh, to kind of find out exactly what's going on inside the Beltway, because I know that they're very concerned about what happened with the CARES Act and having to be classified into the NOFA portion of it. Yeah, that's been uh, there's been a lot of rumor out, you know, in the countryside that that I think we kind of need to clear up. And and Congressman Higgins, let me first say that he and his office have been with us all the way. Uh, I was looking at some dates a while ago uh, about how this process has gone, and uh, you know, the, the CARES Act passed the last week of March. I think it was the 26th, and by April the 8th, just a little over a week later, Congressman Higgins had led a led a uh, colleague letter with all the Louisiana delegation letting Sonny Perdue know the needs of crawfish. And we've been over that on the podcast. But yeah, Avery, as time goes on and as this process developed, uh, there's been some confusion and honestly some bureaucratic confusion uh, as to who plays what role in this assistance that we hope to get for our, our crawfish industry. And when I say crawfish industry, uh, that that includes the farm raised side and that includes the uh, wild catch uh, fisherman side. And so from the very get go, when the CARES Act language came out, it was clear to us uh, when you actually pull the language and read it, which is why folks in Farm Bureau have, have people like me on staff to do that because it's not the most exciting thing to do. But uh, it was clear in there that in Section 12005, the Commerce Act or Commerce Department portion of the CARES Act, um, that gave NOAA the the designation of what they would cover and referenced what USDA would cover. And when you break that out, while we, we agree that crawfish are crawfish and, um, you know, whether they come out of the basin or they come out of a, a farm pond, uh, when it gets to your table, it's all Louisiana crawfish and we're, we're proud of all of that. But uh, when, when the government looks at it, they have a little different opinion uh, that, you know, different agencies are going to handle different sectors. So where that's led us to, uh, y'all heard me talk about it week after week. Uh, we kind of kind of are in the bottom of the ninth now. We've uh, put up a few insurance runs this week by submitting the NOFA, uh, the Notice of Funding Availability Materials. Uh, big shout out to LSU and Dr. Kirk Gidry. It's been a super, super helpful uh, resource for us. And we've submitted the data that shows that that crawfish have seen over 50% reduction in price alone and uh, millions of pounds have been left in the pond and so forth. So um, we're going to keep trying to help our wild catch friends. Um, Y'all know we're the Farm Bureau, so um, commercial fishermen aren't always our scope, but uh, we're looking to to negotiate some things through wildlife and fisheries with them and just kind of be a a resource for those guys too so that's where we're at and, and we hope to to get good news on both fronts in the next couple of weeks well i know congressman clay higgins uh referred to farm bureau as patriots of the highest order so i know that uh he definitely depends on what farm bureau brings to him and i know we depend a lot on what he brings to to our folks back here well, I'll, I'll take a compliment from a congressman any day of the week because that means that we're we're doing our job at the Farm Bureau to be that conduit between the, the farmer member and, and their representative. So that's uh, definitely 
definitely the case. We try to be a resource for them, but it pays off in times like this next Tuesday when they're in their district and they want to hear from their farming member. Uh, we all know what percent of the population farmers make up these days, and even in a district like LA3, it's not uh, necessarily always the breadwinner, but we're loud, we're proud, and, and we, we do try to to do the right thing and, and when you get compliments like congressman higgins gave us uh that's a win in our book so we'll get everybody together uh, at their request next week and try to be safe and practice social distancing and uh continue to to fight the good fight and hopefully get not just crawfish uh avery we're hearing good reports of of these cares act funds going out uh through fsa and a lot of money's been spent across the country uh to get folks some relief and we'll continue to see what comes out in this nofa i know that you'll be working hard on it uh joe one do you ever get compliments like that at the state capitol yes but we they keep them amongst themselves i gotcha and two (laughs) about the cares act and i'm hitting you cold with this how much is the state depending on federal money from this disaster to make the budget whole and how much of that has been played out during this special session? Yeah, I don't know the percentages, but heavily is the answer to your question. And uh, we, we've closed, a, I think, a $900 million gap that we had in the budget moving forward. I mean, it's not finalized yet, but it looks like that's the direction we're headed. Uh, and again, I think we discussed this on the show previously. You know, I'm, I'm not involved in those fiscal matters with the state, but we do rub up, you know, next to those conversations. And it seems like that money from the COVID ought to keep us uh, flush in Louisiana, our state's budget, for about two years. And then after that, we're back at looking at, you know, what normally funds our budget. Avery, that's a key point to make because there's a lot of questions about a future stimulus, uh, the, the fourth round or CARES 2.0 or has all kind of different names. But the key point is is that uh, the way the country's opening back up and things are going pretty smooth, they've made some, they've had a few uh, bills to help these SBA programs just get tweaked. And we've talked about those some, but uh, the real push in Washington for future stimulus is, at least from what we hear, is two things. And that's uh, to help local governments, local and state governments uh, who are seeing huge budget deficits and agriculture. And just like we do in the farm bill, we got to find some some friends to ride alongside to get agriculture through. So it's going to be things like state relief that uh, we might have to get creative and find solutions to that can help both sides. So we're definitely going to look to that to the future. I know not just Louisiana, but other other states are going to be in need too. Well, Andy, what would our farmers I know are going to be in need for is uh, some clear direction on what's going on with the herbicides they can spray. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals uh, struck down the label on two, I'm sorry, three uh, dicamba products. However, now it looks like they'll be able to use them under a uh, an existing stocks rule from the EPA. How is that going and what's what's going on with that next? Yeah, so things have, have been crazy in that realm as well. Uh, we had the, the ruling, like you said, and then the existing stocks rule that, that opened things back up through the end of July. But now we've seen another court procedure um, by the, the plaintiff who claims the EPA shouldn't have had the authority to use this existing stocks rule. So uh, just another 
uh, notch on the, the Farm Bureau belt as Farm Bureau's joined uh, a lot of other commodity groups, Soybean Association, uh, Cotton Council, Corn Growers, and some other groups uh, to put in a amicus brief, I think is the term. I didn't go to law school, so don't <laughs> hold that me on that one. But uh, they, they filed a motion in the court to uh, – to, to try and negate this uh, appeal uh, to, to do away with the existing stocks rule. Uh, we've kind of, you know, said, hey, if you want to duke it out over Dicamba in the off season and with the re-registration that's coming up anyway, sure, we'll put our science up against anybody. But don't come in here, you know, at the, the late hour of, of the season when crops already in the ground. I mean, everybody knows what the intent is there. It's not for the safety of of people or animals or endangered species it's just an attack against agriculture and uh, we've we've gone above and beyond year after year i've told you before i used to be involved in those processes of proving that this this science is clean and it's it's uh usable and effective and uh, when you have things like this happen in courts in california that that tell a man or a woman in louisiana mid-season that they can't do business like they plan to do uh, that's that's just not fair and that's not just so uh, we've got organizations that we're partnering with to make that point and and as of right now if you had your dicamba in the shed uh on june 3rd or had it had it in queue to purchase during that time uh our commissioner of ag has said rip roar and go and you know follow the label and don't don't blow it out and get on your neighbor that's never a good idea doesn't matter uh, what's going on in the court but uh we're still spraying it here in Louisiana and, and hope to do so at least through July. And going back to what you brought up about the science, the court ruling didn't say anything about the science either. No, it, it, I mean, they, they threw enough in there to try and make their case, but most of it was just about the, uh, the divisions that it caused in farm country and, uh, the, the processing, you know, the, the legality of what EPA did to review the um, the processes, and that they, you know, essentially accusing them of of colluding with agriculture and just being buddy buddy with us in some backdoor deal. Uh, it's it's more eloquently put than that, but my Mississippi education that's how I read it. So um, none of that's true. I, I've been in those meetings. I've um, presented that data, and uh, EPA goes by the book and there's been plenty of times that agriculture has been on the losing side of that and has been upset about it but uh but when we we go back to the drawing board and and research some more and find ways to to get it right so when you do everything right and and even when things get a little testy in the countryside ag figures a way to figure it out in-house and we don't need uh groups from la or um, D.C. or whoever go into a court in California to, to change that. Yeah, I mean, that's, I guess that's how you end up on the menu, right, Joe, is uh, you let things like that happen and go on in, in a courthouse all the way across the country. Oh, yeah, definitely. If you're not at the table, you know you're on the menu. And, and mentioning that, Avery, I just want to say how nice it is to be back here at the physical table at 9516 <laughs> Airline Highway in uh, Farm Bureau headquarters. You know, we hadn't been here since before the pandemic hit, so this is really kind of nostalgic for me uh, and nice to be here with you. And going back on that, the last time that we had a podcast in this room, it was just you and me. 
That's true. I didn't it was think just about you that. And I. We didn't even have Andy on the phone. You missed out on the, on all that excitement, Andy. That's right. Well, just so folks know, Andy Brown is still working hard for the bureau. He's just not on the airline highway today. But uh, I did go up and down it earlier today, so I'll be back with you guys soon enough. And uh, glad to glad to have some normalcy back. If if I can get some crawfish money to trickle down, we'll all get to the office and celebrate because that's what I'm waiting on. Uh, if they're still available, we need to do a crawfish boil. Well, on behalf of Andy Brown and Joe Mapes, uh, I'm Avery Davidson. Thank you for joining us for the Grassroots Government Podcast. It's always fun because... If you're not at the table, Andy, you are... On the menu. There you go, brother. Have a good weekend, everybody. Everybody.